Time for our concluding view from the C-suite in 2019. Can you believe it? Where is the time gone? It's in partnership with Eltron. And uh, it's a segment where the interview rules are really made up and market caps don't matter. My next guest has uh, a broad depth of investment experience and an exemplary track record in portfolio management and leading asset management teams. He's the recipient of the prestigious 2018 Manager of the Year Award at last year's Annual Achievement Awards of the Black Management Forum. That's for his contribution to the achievement of transformation and managerial leadership development in the country. And he took over from Dave McReady as MD of Mutual Wealth and Investments at the beginning of this year. Kaya Gabordo, welcome to The View. What a great privilege. Thank you for having me. Now, I'm sure listeners will be wondering uh, who uh, who perhaps might not know you with that surname, whether there's any relation to the famous Nkomeleko <laughs> Gabordo, who is South Africa's first black female chartered accountant and the chair of the largest black-owned auditing firm, Cizwe and Saluba Gabordo, and she's your mom. Uh, was there always this sort of pressure to succeed coming from such a, a prestigious business family background, Kaya? It's a, it's a regular question, and the answer is very simple. The, the pressure did not originate from the fact that my mother has been in a public eye and there's an inherent expectation that um, her children ought to themselves be successful. It's an inherent family way of doing things. We hold each other to a high standard. And so well before she became a, a public figure, the pressure was always on. So... So yes, but not for the not not for the reason that people would originally originally mm. imagine. Mm. And uh, it is uh, all about uh, the the family culture, breeding excellence. I was reading an article in the Sunday Times uh, that was published a few years ago ahead of our chat, where your mom. Uh, sort of spoke of her own career and said there were sacrifices in terms of milestones or or perhaps uh, performances that she missed as a result, but that as a family, you really all understood and there was certainly no uh, regret or or, or bad feelings. Uh, Was it difficult growing up with a career mom or did it, as you said earlier, perhaps just spur you to achieve? It wasn't difficult. I mean, you know, I often say one of my heroes in South Africa is... Uh, the single black woman who has minimal access to means and yet finds a way to provide for her family, raise a family, and create people who end up in places like I have ultimately ended up. Yes, my mother was a little bit more fortunate in that she had the opportunity to become a CA and, and drive a very sexual career from that. So so understanding the country we lived in and, and observing many single mothers and families of that orientation no, it was it was perfectly reasonable in my mind as a kid mm. that this is life, and so I, I didn't think that there was an alternative life of a mother who's constantly around and present. I ask you how much that spurred you because you founded Afina Capital at age twenty six. I know a lot of people at the age of twenty six who are still swimming around <laughs> Europe doing their gap years. I mean, fourteen years later, it's still going strong. So yeah. you you clearly had this entrepreneurial drive. Yeah, I mean, I, I was very fortunate that I, I found my passion and my love pretty early on in my in my teens. Yes, I grew up in an environment. I mean, my grandparents were entrepreneurs. My mother was an entrepreneur. You know, these are people who, who knew how to take an idea and drive it to its fulfillment. And so, and so, yes, I think the environment I grew up with, you know, gave me the necessary character and tools, you know, to imagine a life and then and then pursue it with intensity and vigor. 
which is clearly what you did uh, um, first through uh, study. You've got a master's degree with distinction in investment management from Cass Business School. You originally studied your BCom uh, at WITS. You're a CFA charter holder as well. And anyone who's written one of those will tell you how tough it is. Can you can you believe that the Chinese university entrance exam actually ranks ahead of the CFA in terms of toughness? I, mean, I think that tells you what we need to get right here in South Africa, isn't it? We really need to focus on education as a country. No, I think I think the interesting thing about that question in South Africa, it's a story of two cities. You know, having having gone through one of our South African universities, I went to Vich University, and then having had the privilege to do a master's degree overseas, and I look at the quality of the foundation that I received in my BCom and what I encountered in my CFA or in my studies overseas, actually, we have exceptional education. It's just that it's not uniform, mm. right? You either have exceptional and world-class or very, very poor or average. And that's really our challenge. It's not that we don't have amazing education, it's that it's not uniform and available to all. And uh, building those bridges between the two, uh, it reminds me of what uh, former President Thabo Mbeki always used to talk about, referring to the second economy and how we have uh, shades of first and um, and third world in South Africa still to this day. It is a great challenge uh, that I'm sure must spur you on in in your personal career as now head of Old Mutual Wealth and Investments, uh, it's a business that, yes, services very high net worth individuals, uh, but th- there must be a drive to help see more South Africans saving and investing and being able to afford to uh, attend the very best universities, for example, and, and best uh, business schools. It's an interesting observation you're making that you know our business is described as old mutual wealth and investment and, and people's immediate conclusion is that it serves you know the very wealthy in the country that's only partly true you know we manage upwards of 750 billion rand of other people's money by number when i say by number i mean by value of assets that's predominantly retirement fund assets that we manage and if you think of the members of retirement funds in south africa by number not by value but by number of individual members they're generally ordinary working class mm. South Africans, which means many of them are black, Indian, colored. And, and so actually, we serve South Africa as an organization more broadly as opposed to you know, a very narrow. So, so that's why this job is so incredibly important. We're not only responsible for looking after the well-being and wealth of those who have, we have the indelible responsibility as fiduciaries to look after those who have very little. And and so doing a good job for them is incredibly meaningful and rewarding. And uh, challenging as well. If you look at the industry at the moment, it's going through um, a host of... Uh, almost uh, epochal shifts. If you look at the com- commoditization of investments, if you look at the way tax regimes around the world uh, are, are changing, the amount of regulation, uh, uh, a quick glance at the growth of, of assets in the investment manager uh, industry shows that there's a lot of passive uh, flows in, into your space as well. There's a rise of alternatives and things like private equity. You've an awful lot to manage at this time. Kaya, from your vantage point and uh, from your office so to speak, uh, your, your corner office. I don't know if you've got a corner office, uh, but what do you see as the big challenges uh, for your industry? The single most important challenge we face is not about the inherent economics of our industry because it's very easy to frame it that way, to say, you know, there's high levels of competition, you know, regulation increases in cost, 
you know, it's very easy to frame it that way or frame it from our own perspective. Actually, the more important challenge are the expected returns that we're able to generate for the clients and customers that we serve. And and as you are aware that, you know, South African assets in the last three to five years have performed substantially less than expectation and certainly long-term experience. And And that's really the challenge for me is our ability to deliver an outcome for our clients and customers that beats their expectation. And that's proven very difficult in the recent past. And so convincing them, giving them the confidence to continue to trust our ability to do that for them in the long run, to me, is the single most important challenge that we face. The rest are about our own interest as as commercial enterprises. But actually, we're here to serve customers. And to me, that's that's the mm. lens with which we've got to view these things. And it's a very broad and important lens in South Africa. I know much of the conversation around uh, the, um, the retirement fund industry or, or managing of institutional money like pension funds is centered around whether or not uh, we'll, we'll see prescribed assets. This year in particular, it, it's uh, it's been a hot topic of conversation. But broadly speaking, what it really points to is um, the opportunity to um, get the private sector to help government invest in social infrastructure and in infrastructure that will help uh, uplift and grow the economy. Uh, government clearly running out of fiscal room at this stage. And as stewards of capital, uh, I, I think there is a compelling and convincing argument to be made uh, for uh, institutional money to invest alongside government, but there has to be trust. There has to be trust in that partnership. And as we've seen through the likes of uh, uh, Future Growth and Andrew Cantor, who's really, he was one of the first, uh, and he's part of the old mutual stable, who stood up and said, uh, we are no longer willing to invest in the bonds of these state-owned enterprises that were being hijacked before our very eyes. It's a two-way street. Where do you find, I suppose it's a roundabout question, Kaya, but where do you find South Africa today as uh, so many in society, we want to see the country prosper, but there is a seemingly um, growing impatience with the slow pace of reforms. Where do you see South Africa today? How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) This, this, this is one of my favorite subjects, you know, and I'll, I'll reorientate the question a little bit, if you don't mind, and say there's a number of considerations given what's happening in South Africa and what's happening generally in the global stage, which is this idea that we need to invest much more responsibly with an orientation not only around return expectations, but on the impact that the capital we deploy has mm. on the societies in which it is deployed. And, and that, goes to the, that goes to the very heart of your question. In other words, you know, you large institutions that represent pension funds and other savers, how do you think about the deployment of capital, the impact that it has, whilst at the same time, you know, doing, doing a good job for your clients? And, and we're in a very privileged position at Old Mutual that we manage upwards of 100 billion rand in, in money that is deployed in areas that include social infrastructure. So I'll give you a few examples. So we manage... A, we've raised capital and managed a schools fund where we build and partner with uh, education providers uh, in the affordable education space. Right? We raised a, a fund some years ago and deployed 1.7 billion rand. In other words, we are partnering with society and the state to deliver affordable, high-quality education that is sorely needed uh, in, in our beloved country. 
We've just in the process of raising a follow-on fund. We think we'll raise somewhere between one and a half and two billion rand in that space, which is an incredible um, tool set to contribute significantly to the education needs, which would be positive for society. And we do that whilst at the same time generating nominal returns that are uh, somewhere between inflation plus five and inflation plus seven. Right? So in other words, you, you, you're generating returns of call it 12 to 14% nominal. Mm. And, and as you'll know, and your listeners will know, that's a better return oh. than the JSP has certainly been able to deliver in the recent past. Yeah, and 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 doing it while actually shifting the long-term um, needle on very important issues, as you just mentioned, education. Sassel uh, is another one where Old Mutual has led um, uh, many other institutional investors on a, uh, I wouldn't call it a crusade, is um, on a charge or a, um, a, uh, a transparency mission around climate change, shall we call it, Increasingly, we're seeing uh, institutional investors take a far more active role in the so-called uh, ESG space. Uh, where do you see this ending up, Kaya? Absolutely. Like I said, this, this is one of our favorite subjects. You know, we, we consider ourselves, you know, certainly pioneers and leaders in the space of responsible investment, ESG and impact investing. And, and the Schools Fund is simply a, a sliver of all the areas where we do this. We, we've got a big infrastructure fund that focuses on renewable energy. We've got a, we've got a very significant housing impact fund that focuses on, on affordable housing. And then if you think about what we do in the, in the large liquid listed space, we're, we're all about engagement and driving the change in behavior. So, so our engagement with the Cecil board and other shareholders is really about making sure that we travel a journey as shareholders at Cecil that is consequential in terms of, you know, how we think about carbon emissions and the role that we as investors play, play rather, in driving the right kind of behavior to ensure that we, 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 we get to the, the, the landing zone that is best for our country, but at the same time is, is fair to shareholders and other, and, and other stakeholders in the value chain. Mm, and, and absolutely doing it in that responsible uh, fashion. Now, Kaya, you drafted into Old Mutual uh, around two years ago. Was it Peter Moyo who headhunted you? How did that happen? Yes, I mean, Peter and I go a long way back. And, and yes, he was instrumental in, in you know, my decision to come to Old Mutual. Um, but my decision to come to Old Mutual wasn't singularly about one person. It was about the nature, quality of of institution that I would be joining, and 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 the value that I could contribute, and and the home that I could find, and and those things all remain true at this point. The Big Green, a very established brand, an over centuries old brand, a much loved brand in South Africa. What do you make, though, of the whole Moyo Mutual Board spat, though, and the brand damage that is taking place as a result? I mean, it's extremely unfortunate, but I, I think the, the board and the organization took a stand that they felt was important to, you know, to take on the issues. And, and our responsibility as executives. Is, is to focus on making sure that we meet the promises that we've made to our customers and our clients. And, 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 and that's really what my focus is and, and what the team's focus is. And, and, and as we do those things and we do them well, you know, that would lead to the restoration of, of the brand that we've all come to, to love, respect, and admire. 
certainly the the theme that I've got from the market commentators this year is uh, not picking a side, but just saying that Old Mutual needs to find a resolution and, and start to move on because it has been uh, an awful distraction this year. Kaya, looking at uh, your career so far, both as an entrepreneur and in big business, uh, I just want to tease out how you've approached um, some very important uh, issues in in building a career and and building businesses as an entrepreneur. Firstly, how do you go about developing key partnerships? Because very often when I chat to people who are highly numerate CFA charter holders or, or accountants and FDs, they say the most difficult thing in business is not reading the balance sheet or the numbers. It's about understanding that the person you entering into a partnership with has the same value system and ethical foundation as you and in South Africa over the last 24 months, we've seen how that can go horribly wrong if you get into bed with the, the wrong people. How have you developed that ability? I, I was extremely fortunate that very early on in my career, I, I worked for an organization that trusted me enough to put me in front of a client. And that's probably the most important education you can have in how you think about building high-quality mutually respectful long-term relationships of shared value you know if you if you know what it's like to look at an eye, a, a client in the eye and tell them uh, why you did a good job or why you did a poor job and what you're going to do to improve that in the knowledge that you're going to have to be back in a quarter's time in a year's time in three years time in five years time that changes your orientation around relationships so that's probably the most significant education i received about the value mm. of long-term relationships because the nature of our business, the investment management business where you're managing other people's money for the long term, it's not transactional. You're not saying, well, I'm going to sell you an orange and you know, and that's the end of it. People are trusting you to act in their interest for sometimes multiple decades. We've I've been in, 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 in my career seeing relationships that span multiple decades and, and, and so, like I said, it's, it's in, that, in those early years, standing in front of clients, engaging with clients, that really set the tone for me about how to think about partnerships and relationships. And uh, specifically uh, true for a business that is one of the oldest in the country at over 174 years old. Uh, in your personal development, have you developed habits or a mindset that uh, has guided you and, and helped make you successful so far? What, what are those habits that uh, that you have? Are you one of the, the 5 a.m. risers? Uh, what are your, your habits as a businessman? I'll, I'll be frank. I'm not a big believer in self-help books and, <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. Really, I, I, think, I, I think, you know, some of these things, you know, are simple to understand. It's about the choices you make. You know, if you make a decision that you love something, you're passionate about something, you're already half the battle is won. So I was fortunate that I discovered what I'm passionate about and what I love in my teens, and that hasn't changed for, you know, almost 30 years. And if you're not in that space, it's very difficult to wake up early, to go to bed later, to make the sacrifices that are necessary for any semblance of success. Uh, and so for me, that's the probably the single most important feature of building a successful career is choose a space that you're passionate about because then, you know, your ability to really drive yourself very, very hard follows. So that's one big thing for me. The other, the other is, you know, in this country, you know, questions of integrity, 
question of personal values. You know, these seem like theoretical concepts, but I found in in the 20 odd years that I've been in investment, they are so, so important because, you know, these are long term relationships. Like, a, like I'll give you an example. One of our one of our customers, one of our clients, uh, an institutional pension fund, has been a client of Old Mutual for more than thirty years. Which means, the moment they suspect that our integrity and or our values are not aligned with theirs, you put a relationship of such longevity, you know, in jeopardy. Mm. And so, and and I've been faced. I can tell you now. I've been faced in my career. With, with having to make those difficult choices where the shortcut was available but dangerous and it was such a simple decision because violating a personal set of values and integrity was just not an option. It's not how I was raised and it's also, it's also a recognition that it's the easiest way to do damage to something that's taken generations to build. So those are probably the two most significant drivers for me. And to be clear about what your personal values are and do what you love. And do what you love. Uh, passion and values. I think the wellspring from which so much good uh, springs forth. Kaya, a great pleasure sharing insights into your career and into what you're building and uh, hope to see with old mutual wealth and investments into the future. Take care. Excellent. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it and I enjoyed the conversation. That was Kaya Gabordo, MD of Old Mutual Wealth and Investments, in your final view from the C-Suite for 2019, brought to you by Altron Technology Partners in your digital transformation journey.